It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Jack Canfield, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. My pleasure, Levin. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Jack, uh, to say this is pretty exciting for me would be a bit of an understatement. To say I've now got the, the whole chicken soup for the soul combo is an even uh, bigger understatement from an excitement point of view. The experience with your brother from another mother, Mr. Mark Victor Hansen, was an extraordinary one. And I'd love to start with a bit of a doozy, if I'm allowed to. Sure. To give you some context, when we did the interview with Mark, Anna, who you just met, uh, had we had just found out that we had gotten pregnant. Now, to give you some more background, Anna and I have had, uh, with her permission, I'm okay to share this, we've had now 11 miscarriages. Mm. We only just found out, and I said to Mark, what advice would you give Anna and I to help us bring this baby into the world? And he gave some wonderful thoughts about surrounding with positive people and that kind of thing as well. Unfortunately, we lost it a few days later and I've, I've filled Mark in. My question for you, Jack, is what advice would you now give Anna and I to bring the next one into the world? Well, one thing I would suggest you do is to just keep visualizing that it's possible and see the outcome, see her having a healthy child, growing up healthy and all that. You know, it's funny that, that you mentioned Mark, because when my um, ex-wife was um, pregnant with my youngest son, um, she was concerned about having a miscarriage. And in fact, she it started a little bit of, um, of, of tripping, if you will. And so... Um, Mark suggested we contact this uh, Hawaiian shaman. And what he advised us to do was every day to take some envelopes and seal them up. Literally, and imagine as you were sealing these envelopes up to imagine sealing up the womb so that this baby would stay in it and would be born healthy. And so I would just, you know, encourage you to, to, to reach out to some people, you know, maybe in the indigenous world where you live, uh, to ask for some advice like that, because I think shamans actually sometimes can tune into things that we don't know. Uh, but that really helped us. I mean, Christopher was born. He's healthy. He's uh, 30 years old now and doing very, very well. Uh, has a few too many tattoos for my taste, but he's doing, he's, he's doing very, very well. And so um, that would be one piece of advice. And the other would be to not let yourself. What often happens when you've had a series of things like that is to get into, oh, my God, I hope that doesn't happen. And then what happens is you're focusing on that. 
And then, then, then that's what you're visualizing and attracting into your life. Um, and, and finally, I would, again, look to some people. There are a number of people around who sit in very high consciousness. Sometimes they're called psychics. Sometimes they're called mediums. We've done a lot of work with people like that in my life. And um, just to ask for guidance and, and to see what you might find from a, a higher level of what this is. And also, what's the lesson? There's some learning that always goes with this uh, that can be valuable as well. But I would say I wouldn't give up. Um, I would just keep keep working at it. Thank you, uh, Jack. That's uh, something that I really hadn't explored. Certainly the not giving up thing, it's not an option to not give up. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that, uh, you know, whatever the worst case scenario might be in terms of biologically not being able to have kids, you know, whoever we adopt are going to be <laughs> the luckiest kids on the planet, you know. Right. And, uh, and I suppose one of the questions I had further to that response was, you know, based on the principles of the secret, you know, the, the cult um, hit movie that you are part of. Every time we say the word miscarriage, we were, I was trying to work out whether maybe we should remove that from the vernacular. Yeah, I, I would I would just stop thinking and talking about it because every time you do, it brings the vibration of that into your space, into her body. Um, and and so, yeah, it's like whatever, you know, the tendency is to focus on what we don't want because you've had it so many times. We don't want that. What you do want to focus on is having a healthy, on-time, you know, fully functional kid. And so, like a lot of times people say, I want to stop smoking. And so their affirmation is, I'm stopping smoking. Well, you're going to be stopping forever. It's like, I'm going to Chicago. You're always going to be going, never getting there. So what you want to do is affirm something like, I'm living a totally, you know, only breathe in healthy, pure air or something like that, which would then eliminate smoking and vaping and all those kind of things. So it's tricky uh, because our language is so habitual, but that's what's required to uh to to do that and again i would say you know look for some people that see beyond the normal intellectual western medical approach to all this because often it can be something more um, spiritual or just psychological or even some uh, unhealed wound or trauma like i would like i we're i'm writing a book with a woman right now who we we are working on helping people go back and unearth limiting childhood beliefs they took on usually between the age of three and eight they don't even know they have and um one of the things that she always does is muscle test people and muscle test them like you know i i want to make a lot of money and her arms go down meaning they're weak like well what is it about that what is something in there called it'll make my brother jealous it'll 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 make my dad feel bad i have to manage it people come after me for things you know whatever so we have to remove those beliefs so there may be some negative belief that's in anna's consciousness that she's not even aware of that in a sense is helping with this it could be something totally physical it could be something from a past life you know, I look at all all levels, but I would play with that, maybe do some muscle testing. You know, am I comfortable having a child? Do I want to have a child? Someone that does, you know, kinesiology, muscle testing uh, would be a good way to just even test that. And if it's not strong, then that, then what is the belief or the wound or the, the unlimited, the unconscious barrier? Because sometimes there's part of us that wants something and another part that's freaked out by it. And so they're at war with each other. And usually the unconscious always wins. It's kind of one of the rules of life. 
Yeah, it's so brilliant, uh, Jack. And it's interesting you say that. We've been experimenting with some psyche, uh, which involves some kinesiology. Sure. I'm not sure whether you heard yeah, of that yeah. as well. Um, the chiropractor, Don Cannon, that, that Mark actually recommended, who lives in Melbourne, which is where we are, has uncovered something. Anna's got her own story, and it's not for me to share. And that's mm-hmm. something that uh, that'll that'll come out in her own good time that ties in with a lot of the stuff that you're exactly mentioning there. So I think we're on the right path. Is, yeah. is the most important thing, and um, and and so I thank you, you know, from the bottom of my heart for that. It, that means a tremendous amount. I know it will help a lot of people watching this as well. From your own troubles, if you call them that, Jack, what are the what are the key areas of your life that you've been struggling in recently? Well, I don't struggle much anymore. Um, I, I always say struggling is optional. I believe effort is required. Struggling is optional. Um, you know, the only challenge I find I have in my life right now is I've always been struggling, and there I'm using the word, uh, but I've had this, <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's, 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 it's historical conditioning. But the challenge I have is this last 15 pounds of weight that I want to lose. So I can get down to 210 really easily, getting from 210 to 195, 190, where I really am at my best weight. I've got enough muscle that that's true, um, is... I actually did some work recently and found out that I went back to a time when I got beat up in high school and I was thin. And there was this idea of like, you know, now I got a lot of weight to throw around. You can't push me around kind of thing. So I need to like release that. Um, so that's a, that's one area where I've had a challenge. And other than that, you know, I do what I want to do. I have fun. I say no when I need to. I say yes to what I want. Uh, my wife and I are happy. I'm writing four books at the moment. I'm making a lot of money. Um I would say that's that's mainly it. And if anything else, just getting enough sleep, because I never want to go to sleep. I'm always so into when I'm studying and writing and all of that, that sometimes I stay up till one or two in the morning and then I end up getting five and a half hours instead of six and a half or seven. But that's about it, Levin. Too many uh, games of words with friends by the sounds, is it? Well, I used that used to be the problem. <laughs> now, now it's just I'm watching too many TED talks and things like that. Like, uh, just one more. It's only 18 minutes. Come on, you know, I'm just learning things, taking notes, and doing that. Well, Jack, you're a you've been very public about being a very spiritual individual and don't really identify with religion anyway. And I think right. whatever spiritual path you're on led you to coming on this podcast because today is your lucky day with regards to this weight loss. Because what I didn't tell you about my health and well-being journey is that in addition to giving up all the other addictions, including sugar, and it's 50 odd days now, but I believe that I've removed the block that was causing me to relapse with that. So my only vices are running and black coffee at this point, right? But I lost 60 pounds of body fat and put on nearly 30 pounds of muscle over the course of my transformation. I'm more than happy to talk about how I did that, if you like, offline um, to to give you some ideas that you probably haven't been given yet um, and will probably blow your mind if you're open to that. Sure. Always open. Always open. <laughs> so uh, something that really struck me, Jack, is I, in doing my research for this this interview, I uh, came to learn about your family and I immediately incorrectly assumed that you would have this wondrous, perfect Brady Bunch-esque type of family. And it turns out that that's not the case and no one's got that Brady Bunch family as it turns out. And um, one particular thing that struck me was your son, uh, Oren Canfield. 
Right. And uh, I know he's he has had struggled with addiction in the past, um, but you wrote a book, The 30-Day Sobriety Solution, about four years ago, five years ago. And I was curious to know what the inspiration for that book was. Two things. Number one, um, well, three really. Number one, I had a person take one of my uh, luxury retreats. We did these uh, week-long retreats in Hawaii for people that we you know, had a limit of 20 people, really intense. And one of the guys was Dave Andrews. And he was doing an online uh, sobriety coaching program. And it was really, really good. And he had said to me, you know, I basically have been to rehab several times. I've been to AA. Nothing was working for me. And then one day I'm listening to a Tony Robbins tape in the car and I go, why aren't they teaching this in rehab? This is really good stuff, you know? And so he said, I started listening to all these personal development people like you, Jack and Brian Tracy and so forth. And he said, that's what started to work. And that's what got me sober. <clears throat> so he started creating a coaching program, which employed all these, you know, human potential activities. And, and he was having great success. I mean, you know, huge success. And I said, how many people are you reaching a year? He said, I don't know, about 50 clients. I said, this is way too good to be limited to 50 people. You need to write a book about it. He said, well, I don't know how to write a book. And if I did, no one would know who I am. Would you write it with me? And I said, sure. Because about half of what he was teaching was my work anyway. So it was easy to do. And so that was the first inspiration was here's this guy who wants to do it. And I want to help him do it. Secondly, was my son who had been a heroin addict. Uh, and this is called, I got divorced when he was three and she was crazy and I, I had to get out. And even though I had a kid and even though she was crazy in Massachusetts, she had to prove she was crazy to get custody, which I was not able to do in court. So she got to raise him. And as a result of that, he ended up getting into drugs as a way of dealing with all the pressure and, um, eventually got sober, joined AA He's a sponsor. He's been sober now for, I think about 15 years. And he wrote a book called Long Past Stopping, which is about his journey through addiction. Uh, what got him off it eventually was this thing called ibogaine, which is an African uh, drug, I guess you can call it. It's a hallucinogenic, but it helps you recapture your whole life. You look at your whole life pattern and you start to see where you made these decisions. And when he realized what he had done with that, he came back and he got into rehab. He was, became captain of his rehab program. He was sober and doing really, really well. Um, so, and then my mother was an alcoholic. My grandmother was an alcoholic and I have one other child that's an alcoholic. So the gene was there, if there is a gene, and, you know, that's arguable, but, but definitely it showed up in our family. Skipped me. Fortunately, I can drink a little wine. I'm fine. Don't drink much anymore since the pandemic. I just haven't had any desire to, cause I'm not doing a lot of social events with people. But the reality is that those things together made me realize I'd seen so much pain due to alcohol and drug addiction that I wanted to make a difference. I, I love it, Jack. And, and I, I wasn't able to read it in time because it's not available on Kindle over here. Um, I would have had to order a hard copy, which wouldn't have got here in time. But um, from what I can tell, you know, it's a subject that's super close to my heart. And and I must say, I really empathized with the challenge that you must have experienced with regards to the separation of that family because it's something that's very close in the way that my father left my mother. And, you know, I held a lot of resentment towards the both of them for a long time until I got to a point where I was like, you know what, these are just grown-up versions of kids and they were doing the best they could with the tools they had available. And you know what, Jack, as soon as I was able to let that go, I had the most wondrous guttural release that flowed forth from me. And one, th one thing I would love to explore your ideas on this 
What are your thoughts about trauma being stored physically in the body, specifically in the fat of the body, which is where toxins are typically stored? Well, I have no question that it's stored in the body. I've not heard that much about it being stored in the fat, but I agree that toxins are stored in the fat. And um, one of the reasons we keep fat is we eat a lot of toxic stuff and then it has nowhere to go. So the body, the, can't, the liver can't process it fast enough, so it stores it. That's why fasting is good or intermittent fasting, because then it just gives time for the, I call it to empty out the banker's boxes, you know, and then this fat can like go away. But um, it's definitely stored in the body. We can, we can see that all the time. And when people release it, you see the release in the body that happens as, as well. Um, and I think the thing that's really important is that nobody realizes they're carrying around, well, not everybody, very few people realize they're carrying all this around in their body. You know, the, the, the molecules of emotion, as one person calls them, and that they there's work for all of us to do. And most people don't know that. You know, our school system doesn't teach us that. Most people don't go into therapy. They don't they think it's for weak people. They don't think it, they can afford it, you know, whatever it might be. So it requires things like podcasts like yours, like workshops I do, online courses. One thing I do twice a year is I lead a hour-long free seminar. It's a webinar. Anyone can sign up. I'll often have 2,000 people on it, and I take them through a process of going back into their childhood, identifying a limiting belief and releasing it and replacing it with something positive. And we get like, you know, out of 2,000 people, like 1,990 have these life-changing experiences. And they had no idea when we started the process what they were going to get in touch with. For example, one woman who's an amazing skier and she should be winning all her competitions wasn't. And when she'd ski alone, she was great. When she'd compete, not so well. And when we did this process with her, what she got in touch with, she went back to when she was about 11. And there she was in the kitchen with her mom. And she said, mom, how come you never display my trophies, my medals and my ribbons like other mothers do? And she said, well, whenever you win, it makes your brother feel bad. And so she decided at a young age, when I win, it makes people I care about feel bad. So she basically was uncomfortable winning. And so she would sabotage herself. And once she realized that and realized that she's not responsible for other people feel and that she can win and they can still be okay. She started winning medals and trophies and she possibly will be in the next Olympics. So the reality is we've all got them. Most of us don't know it and we have to go back in there and find it and overcome it and release it. I love that Jack. And one, because it's so, again, so close to my heart. I, I, because uh, my parents split up when I was three and a half and I really couldn't remember anything until about the age of 15. And since I've gone through this healing journey, my memory has just, I mean, with a combination of eating right and being sober and it's all flooding back to me. And when I wrote my book, it, it generated even more good and not so great memories uh, that I've been able to, to process and, and have really amazing success with. And the, the point regarding the fat um, storing the trauma this is only theory, I haven't spoken to anyone about this, is that I inexplicably started running ultra marathon distances from in a period of like five months. And when I would run, when I hit that point where I'd maybe depleted my glycogen levels and I was burning the fat, I would burst into tears of joy. And it happened for about the first year and a half to two years. And I was curious to know if you've ever heard anything like this before. Well, I've heard about people having what they call runner's high, where when you run and, you know, certain, but I, I, 
There was a psychiatrist, I don't remember his name. He wrote a book. It was all the big rage about, I don't know, 30 years ago, where he would actually take his clients running. And as they would run, he would do therapy with them. And he said it was 10 times more powerful than when he would just sit in his office. So I think there's something to what you're saying that it starts to move things that have been static. I mean, you know, things, the word emotion means energy, E, in motion, and it, emotions are supposed to move through you. And when we want to shut down our feelings because they're too uncomfortable, we don't move. We don't breathe as deeply. We sit still. We freeze, you know, et cetera. And so I think that totally makes sense. Again, I don't know about the fat part, but I do know the holding on and the lack of movement and the lack of allowing things to move and the running starts to get all that moving. That all kind of makes sense to me. Well, one of the ketone bodies in, in when you're burning fat uh, is alpha hydroxybutyrate, and we convert a, a percentage of that. Don't quote me on this; I'm not a scientist. Into gamma hydroxybutyrate (GHB), which is known as fantasy, which is the the recreational drug that's very popular. It's also known as the um, the date rape drug, I think, because of how stupefying it, it has when people are uh, roofied with it, right? Mm-hmm. And and I've spoken to uh, Nobel Prize winning Professor Barry Marshall, who's a gastroenterologist. <laughs> I mean, put him on the spot. He wasn't able to explain it. He had some ideas, um, and a few other people. And I and I just wonder whether the combination of all the mindfulness stuff that I'm doing, all the self-development stuff that I'm doing, the physical state that I've got myself into has created this like this synergistic um, being in my body and it's rewarding me with this wonderful healing process. It's so spiritual and I feel so connected to the universe, Jack. I, I can't really explain it and I'd love someone to be able to do it. <laughs> well, I'm probably not that guy today, but I would encourage you to keep looking and also – uh, stop saying I'm not a scientist, but, you know, everyone thinks like somehow you have to have some degree to be able to read research and quote it back again. So if, if, if that's the research and those are the, the letters <laughs> of the, the molecules and they do that, what they do, then you're as legitimately talking about that as anyone who has a degree from Stanford or the University of, you know, whatever in Australia, you know. I will heed that and I will take that on board and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say the most positive things I can possibly say. I'm not even going to use the word negative nay. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if that works for the the universe. Well, your next next book can become 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 your own self-declared scientist. (laughs) I think with some of the stuff that I spout, Jack, I think that's already been declared. (laughs) Uh, Jack, I just read my first children's book in, I don't know, maybe three or four years um, since I read uh, one to my niece, and I loved it. And it's called I Can, and it's by you and Miriam Laundrie. How the heck did that come about? Well, I, I run the seminars. I didn't do it during COVID, but before that, I think 15 years in a row, called the Breakthrough to Success Seminar, and it's a seven-day training. And she came to one a couple of years ago. And we do this exercise called the I can't, I won't exercise. So I have people uh, put their, their um, they sit with a partner and then they have to say sentences that start with I can't that feel true in their life. I can't find time to answer all my emails. I can't lose weight. I can't stop smoking. I can't keep my room clean, whatever. They go back and forth. And then I have them say the same sentences again, but instead change it to I won't. So instead of I won't keep my room, I can't keep my room, I won't keep my room clean. Instead of I can't lose weight, I won't lose weight. Instead of I can't stop smoking, I won't. And what? And I say, what, what was the difference? And everyone goes, 
Ah, the second one felt more honest. I feel more powerful, whatever. So the idea is I can't weaken you. As I said, we could put our hand out and we say, I can't, arm goes down. Say, I can, arm stays strong. So what happens is she wanted to go home and teach that to her children. And she said, I couldn't just give them a lecture. And these are young kids. I, I needed to create a story. So she began to create this story about this girl who's in the second grade and has to give a uh, a report it has to be the student of the day and you know, show and tell that kind of thing. And she says, I can't do it. I can't speak in front of the class. And so she writes a fake note to her teacher. You know, Molly is sick today. She can't speak. And <laughs> so, so, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. so, so then the teacher said, Oh, that's so bad. I guess you won't be able to talk to the kids today. And then Molly realized she just boxed herself in. She can't talk on the playground. So now she's got to pretend she can't talk. So she's observing all the other kids and she sees them going, I can't swing on the monkey bars alone. I can't do a cartwheel. I can't tie my shoes. She said, wow, this I can't is endemic. So she goes home at night. She has an idea. And so she makes a, a list of all the things she can't do. And then she sees the teacher using this uh, paper shredder. And she says, what if we were to shred this list of I can'ts? And so for her thing in front of the class, she decorates the paper shredder as this big monster with a huge mouth where the paper goes in, has everyone in class write down something they can't do. And one of the time they have to come up and shred it and then replace it with I can. And so that was the way she kind of taught the children of her own kids how to replace I can't with I can. And then we also teach what we call the I can't funeral where you have a funeral where you either bury the I can'ts, have a whole class go out in the yard and dig up a area and put the I can'ts in a shoebox and bury it and have a eulogy, you know, here lies I can't, who was heard in the halls of Congress and so forth and so on. But he survived by his cousins, I can and I will, you know, and you have <laughs> juice, you know, the little juice the, uh, packets and all this kind of stuff. And so it's a ritual. You can burn it, you can shred it, you can do whatever. But the kids really get it. And so uh, we decided to turn that into a book. That's how the book came about. It's done very, very well, actually. Well, I just left a review and uh, because it was brilliant. And, and uh, it needs to be in every kindergarten and, and primary school because the, the power of the self-talk, I'm sure you've experienced this. Once I became aware of my own self-talk, Jack, I now am hypervigilant with how other people talk about themselves. And it's to the point now where I... I, I can't handle it for too long. What are you? What are you? What's your experience with that? I'm always interrupting people in their self talk because I can't handle it either. You know, I hope people say, "Well, I'm just a teacher." Well, no, you're not just a teacher. You're a teacher. You know, I can't do this. I wish I were able to do that. If I had more money, I'd do that. You know, um, whatever. And you know, we talk to ourselves. It's been measured between fifty and sixty thousand thoughts a day. And the average person in the developed countries, it's about 50 to 75% negative. And that's that's awful when you think about it. And it stops us. It, it creates depression. It creates inactivity. It creates people not moving forward in life, low self-esteem, low self-confidence, et cetera. So I think, you know, as you said, mindfulness, the, the first step to changing anything is awareness and then choice. So if I'm not aware I'm doing it, I'm not going to change it, but if I'm aware of it, because people like you and I talk about it on podcasts, we write books about it. You confront people when they do it in my company. If anyone says anything negative about themselves, makes an excuse, uses the word. I can't uh, judges somebody, whatever it's $2 fine right on the spot. So it's the idea is to heighten their awareness that there's a cost, not we're like trying to punish them, but to show them this is costing you in your life. 
And so we don't have a swear jar in our home. We have a negative thoughts jar. <laughs> You know, when the kids were growing up, they'd have to put a quarter in there if they had a negative thought out loud. Again, just to heighten their awareness. So, you know, I'd hear kids say to their friends, like, don't say the word can around my dad. It will cost you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I wish I had that swear jar around a few years ago. I'd be a bloody multimillionaire. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Jack, one thing that comes up with a lot of people that I talk about and interrupt, you know, with their negative self-talk is they want help with how to deal with a narcissist or narcissistic behavior. Do you have any advice? Well, narcissists in general have very low self-esteem. And they want everyone to love them, acknowledge that they're okay, because they don't feel that way inside themselves. I think that in general, I have not found a lot of success for the average person to be able to change a narcissist. It's more like, how do you protect yourself from a narcissist? My wife had a narcissistic mother, and she was a famous actress, not at Hollywood, but in her San Diego, she used to win awards. She was always cast in the local plays. Her ashes are buried at the playhouse, you know, where where you know, she played all her plays. Um, she was a model. She was attractive, but she was a narcissist. And so everything the kids did was wrong, was never good enough. And they were always like supposed to like bow down to her. And so it had a huge effect on my on my wife. I think my wife would have been a great actress, but she was so turned off by her mother that she wasn't going to do anything her mother did, you know, so kind of ab reaction, we call it, you know. Um, but I, I think in general, like, you know, I, I think Donald Trump, our president, was a narcissist. And, you know, all that adulation that he needed had to be on the road all the time, people telling him how good he was, etc. Still going on. I didn't lose the election. You know, he's still doing that going on because he can't believe it. He was a loser. It's, it's, it's incomprehensible to him. So I think in general, you know, they can be dangerous and like, you know, just protect yourself. Great advice. And, and uh, you know, don't ever be afraid to cut these people out of your life as well. Uh, exactly. What are your thoughts on keeping people at arm's length? Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. There's a friend of mine wrote a book called Who's in Your Room? And the idea is that anyone that gets in your room kind of stays in your room. So like, don't let those people into your room. Like imagine you have a doorkeeper that every, every your life is a room and, you know, like you can kick people out for sure. Like there was about five year period where I would not take my mother's phone calls because she was like drinking too much. She was depressive. She was, she hated men. I would happen to be one, even though I was her son. And I just told my secretary, you know, I'm not here. So the, she eventually got sober. She became more, more trainable, if you will. And she got off a lot of stuff, but I didn't need to be brought down, you know, by that. And I, you, you can reach a point where you can be around negative people and not let them affect you. But that's like being a lighthouse in the darkness. Most people don't have that much self-growth to be able to do that. So in general, you've probably heard Jim Rohn's quote, you know, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So be really conscious about who you spend time with because you are going to become like them. You know, we tell our kids don't hang out with those kids because they're a bad influence. It doesn't stop when you're 35 years old. People are a bad influence, you know. So you want to be around people that are positive, encouraging, goal-seeking, goal spiritual. Their lives are working. They're happy. Um, otherwise, you're going to get caught up in that energy sphere. So if you have to be around them, what I teach people is imagine yourself surrounded by an eggshell of white light so it's not coming in. And then when you get home, you can do a little energy exercise where you imagine all these strands between you and you cut them with scissors, you break that bond, you send them away, send them light, re 
send your self light, pull all your energy back in. So something I learned from a shaman, by the way, and uh, not be affected by it. But it's it's challenging. The world's full of a lot of negative people. And that means for me, not listening to the news, not listening to negative people, not reading books that aren't of a high vibration, not watching television shows that are going to be nothing but violence. I mean, a little bit of violence in a right James Bond movie can be fun. But, you know, if that's all it is, it's just a downer, you know. But of course. <laughs> well the, done. <laughs> the re- thank you. The reason I laughed was the similarities between me, me and my mum, whose relationship has dramatically improved uh, once I was able to let a lot of that go. Um, it was more of a reactionary chuckle <laughs> because of the, the many years of uh, really for a year at a time, maybe on a birthday or Christmas, there might be a text message or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. But um, I'm happy to announce it's in a much better place now. Uh this is this next question is super important for our audience and maybe more important for me. What does Oprah smell like? That's a good question. I mean, she has a unique um, odor, if you will. Um, and um, there, this, I, this, I hope this doesn't sound racist, but black people have a different smell than white people in general. And she has that. It's not offensive in any way, but it's definitely unique. Um, and the few times I've hugged her, um, she'll often have a perfume on that is a distinctive. I don't know which one it is, but I, I just like hugging Oprah. She's really good to hug. She's a good hugger. <laughs> well, she, she looks like a good hugger. And I mean, you you are a great hugger from what I can tell as well. And the reason I asked that was in jest, but also do you feel or do you think that people like Oprah or successful people that are happy or do you reckon they they smell differently or they I don't know if you understand what, what I'm asking here. Well, I, I, I hear the, there's a phrase called the sweet smell of success. That's a phrase we have in our language. I don't know that when I hug Oprah or any other multimillionaires and billionaires that I've hugged, which are quite a few, but I would say <laughs> they smell like success. I think everyone has a unique smell based on what soaps they use, what perfumes, what hair, shampoo, et cetera. But there's an aura of success. I mean, Oprah has tremendous self-confidence, tremendous presence. You, It's clear she's commanding the space she's in and you're entering into it and she's inviting you in a very generous way. I remember when I did my uh, Super Soul Sunday, I go over to her estate, which is in Montecito. It's about 40 acres of beautifully manicured estate because she's worth $3 billion. She can do that. And um, you get on a golf cart from the room where you've been doing your makeup and stuff. And you go down around the edge of the state to her, either to her tea house, which is a stone house, or her under the trees, if you've ever seen those interviews. And um, she says, welcome to my neighborhood. <laughs> It was just like some neighborhood you got over, you know, uh, and then we just, we hit it off. I love her. She's fabulous. Uh, yeah. What a wonderful positive influence she's had on the world. And something that really was interesting to me is that she said, uh, when you asked her about how would you feel if Stedman forgot her birthday, she said that she wouldn't mind. Yeah, that was funny. Cause I, it was, it's the thing I often do to get people to point out that it's not what happens. It's your belief about it that makes you feel bad. Cause normally what someone says, I'd feel bad. And I'd say, why? And they'd say, well, that must mean he doesn't love me. And then I'll say, well, is it possible you could think the thought someone who loves me forgot my birthday? How would you feel then? And she, I was setting myself up for that. And she totally blew me out of the water because I couldn't go there, <laughs> but I believe it's true. 
you know, her feel good is not dependent on anyone else's behavior. It's really clear that's true for her. And um, so that's why that happened in that interview. It was really funny. But uh, yeah, yeah, she she's definitely in charge of her own experience. Brilliant. Jack, what lights your soul on fire? Well, number one, my wife, she could have been on Saturday Night Live. She's a very funny person. Is this so Inga? Inga? Inga, yeah. I get to see her every day. We play, we play ping pong about three, four times a week. Uh, that's really fun. Uh, I think uh, music, I, I've got probably... I've got so many things in my Apple music file. It's probably enough for seven people. I, if I listened to every song once before I died, I'd probably have to live to 108 right now. Um, but I love music. So I'm always downloading new music. I love um, comedy. So I spend at least 15 minutes a day watching some comedy thing on you know, my, my computer. Uh, what else lights my fire? People who are committed to excellence whether it's like watching the NBA playoffs or someone like you who's committed your life to excellence, talking to you, people that are fun. I love fun. I'm irreverent. I collect jokes and most of them are not quotable and things like this. Uh, people send me cartoons, again, most of which I can never use in my presentations. <laughs> but the point is, I love it. It's really, really fun to laugh, you know. So those are the things. And I think people that people that are solving problems in the world, you know, the idea that we can solve global warming, that we can get to the point where we don't have to get cancer anymore. We can get to Mars if we want to. If Elon Musk wants to go to Mars, well, why not? You know. Fantastic. Well, I actually, my very first interview, Jack, was uh, uh, Diane McGrath, Dr. Diane McGrath, who's a Mars One astronaut candidate. And she's been shortlisted down to the last 25 to go to Mars one mm -hmm. way. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Where, where do people find you, Jack, and what kind of people should want to connect with you? Well, I think if there's anything you want more of in your life, like happiness, joy, money, fulfillment, whatever, if you're someone who wants to be someone who becomes a coach or a trainer, or you are one and you want to add what I do, I teach a train the trainer course where we teach people how to do live interactive seminars, but also how to do one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, using the success principles that are in my book, The Success Principles. Um, and there's also personal development classes there. So you just go to jackcanfield.com. Uh, there's all kind of free downloads as well. Uh, one thing, if you go to jackcampfield.com forward slash transformation, you can get a free 10-day course. It'll come to you as a three to five-minute video every day for 10 days. And it, you watch it. It talks about a success principle. You then apply that during the day, give you some tips on how to do that. So it Velcros into your system. And I'll just share a real quick story. A guy named Chris Jarvis sent me a podcast he did. Uh, it was a blog he wrote, rather, about a year ago. And it said how a free 10-day course made me an additional $1 million last year. And he literally had started that course twice. It's not even a course. It's just started to listen to it and stopped because he was busy. And then he broke his leg and he had to do it because he had nothing else to do. So he listened to all 10 things in a row. And he said, doing what I learned in that 10 days made me a million dollars extra last year. So I share that to tell you how powerful that can be. And it's free. So please come and, and, and get that. And get involved. And if you get on our mailing list, I mentioned earlier that I do this call twice a year where we deep dive into your limiting beliefs and remove one on each call and it lets you be more successful in your life. 
Well, for one reason or another, it's I, I don't know whether I've just fluked this, but the number of people that I've bumped into had never heard of you. They'd never heard of Mark. They'd never heard of Zig Ziglar. They'd never heard of Les Brown. And many of them had never heard of Brene Brown as well, which blew my mind. So if you are sceptical about any of the stuff that we've talked about today, you need to sign up and get access to this because this will change your life forever. The, the privilege that we have to have... This great man in our presence is beyond uh, any kind of abundance that I have uh, been wishing for a long time. Get on board. Jack, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? Yeah, I always like to end with this. You have everything you need to accomplish anything you want. You may have to learn some new skills. You may have to learn some new concepts. You may need to learn how to partner up with some people. But if there's any dream you have, you have the capacity to fulfill it. I believe, and it's been my experience working with hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. I've spoken in 50 50 countries. The reality is that you're never allowed to have a dream if you don't have the capacity to make it come true. So whatever dream is in there, don't disbelieve it. Believe it's possible. Do whatever it takes to fulfill it. And like Laban's saying, there are hundreds of people like myself and Laban and Mark Victor Hansen and Lisa Nichols and Tony Robbins and Oprah Winfrey. We're all committed to having you do that. So once you get into this world, you'll discover there are hundreds of us. We all have great ideas for you. And then you become kind of an addict to the good things, what we call positive addictions to joy and to happiness and to success and to fulfillment and to service and contribution. All that's possible and your life will magically transform. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Canfield. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you. It's Laban Ditchburn and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training where I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.